Thanks for joining us in another episode of Blue and Gold, where our goal is to promote student voices and better engage the public through discussions of our common history. Today, we're featuring a student-produced podcast from one of our history courses taught here at the U.S. Naval Academy. It represents a winning combination of diligent research and thoughtful presentation. We hope you appreciate our students' efforts as much as we do. For more information about this episode, the midshipmen involved, and the class for which it was produced, please see the episode's description. And we're on. Hey everyone, I'm Rudy, and I'll be your host today while we discuss Industrial Revolution. We've got four experts here today, including myself, on four different assets of the Industrial Revolution. We're gonna go through and just put our heads together, talk, have a conversation, and try to figure out whether or not the Industrial Revolution was a positive thing for humankind. How are we gonna do that, you might ask, just by having a conversation? Well, we're gonna have a little debate slash conversation, and every expert is gonna have a buzzer, okay? And that buzzer is gonna be unique to them, so whenever it plays, you'll know who hit the buzzer. So we're just gonna start talking, and when somebody says something that another one of the experts wants to interject in and say something about, they're gonna hit their buzzer, and at that point, the person who's speaking will have 20 seconds to wrap up what they were saying and allow the other person to speak until we feel like we've gathered enough material to make a decision and and come to some sort of conclusion. All right, at this point, I'm gonna introduce all of our experts and then they're gonna tell you a little bit about themselves. All right, Calvin, go ahead. Hi, I'm Calvin. I'm from Madison, Wisconsin. I'm out here in Maryland with my three best friends. I researched the economics specifically of the Industrial Revolution and more specifically the long-term effects of what it involves. While we looked a lot at the workers with this general topic, I argued with my research that I think in the long term that they were better off. Maybe in the short term, people think that workers had a bad time and while this is true, in the long term they were much better off. All right. I'm Belle Nesset, I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and the thing I researched was working class women's role in society before, during, and then after the Industrial Revolution, and how that played a part into how they were introduced into society as functioning uh, workers, and how that built up energy for them to gain women's suffrage. Hi, I'm Julia Christie. I'm from Annapolis, Maryland, and what I researched was the parallels between the Industrial Revolution in the 1800s and modern economies now, specifically the United States. So I had a bunch of topics like the innovations and the inventions that were brought upon in the Industrial Revolution uh, and compared them to the new ones now. I also talked a little bit about the programs and the workers' laws that were established initially in the 1800s and how a lot of those ideas carry over to modern day society. Hey guys, Rudy again, and I am a researcher in child labor during the Industrial Revolution. What conditions were like for children before the Industrial Revolution, during, and then sort of after everything and all the dust had settled. All right, I think we're just about ready to get started here. Does anybody have any pressing things that they would like to discuss first? 
I can start off and just get straight to the point. And based off of my research, my conclusion to whether or not the people were more or less better off after the Industrial Revolution, I came up with the answer that yes, they were. I think that people in society is better off the Industrial Revolution happening, mostly because of the workers' rights and the movements that happened because of like the necessity of workers' rights really helped the quality of life of the working class in the 1800s in France and the rest of Europe. The ideas that were established then are helping workers, especially in the United States now, whether that be the legal protections that workers have with different organizations and things like that. The new introduction to like laws and stuff and having a government protecting the working class is the most important thing I think that came out of the Industrial Revolution. So because of that, I think workers are better off now with that revolution happening. Okay, um, I, I buzzed in because she started talking about the laws and things that came about um, because of the Industrial Revolution, about how, how people treat you know the workforce and things like that. <laughs> Um, and yeah, those those laws coming into place were were a great thing for for all, all the workers, including and especially the uh, the child laborers that were you know working in the factories at that time. Um, but sort of at what cost, right? So these kids for for years, this system was in place before anybody really questioned it too much. Um, where young children, as young as like four years old were working with heavy duty machinery um, for long hours up to 14 hours a day on minimal wages and I'm not talking like minimum wages are today like they often lost you know limbs and their lives even sometimes uh, and I just would like to kind of pose the question was it worth it you know to to have these laws come about eventually so now everybody's all protected or should it just have never happened in the first place? Well, a lot of the reasons that the kids were working then during the Industrial Revolution was because before they worked on the farms with their parents. And so the big culture shift was having families where parents would have six to eight kids to work the farm and having the kids looked at more as workers and the shift to industrial where the kids were still being used as workers, but then the employers figured out they could pay the kids less, and then the eventual child labor laws. I know without the Industrial Revolution, we would still have child labor, it would just be in a different form. Maybe it's not as dangerous on farms when you're with your family, but there's still forms of child labor that were happening years before in the Industrial Revolution. So if anything, the Industrial Revolution made it so kids worked less than they did before. I'll definitely secede to, to that in the long run. Kids end up working less uh, than they did before the Industrial Revolution. But I would, I would say that the, the safety factor was pretty much non-existent before the Industrial Revolution. No kids were, were losing their lives over, over the work they were doing, and they were working for their families. And you know, kids still work for their families um, if, if need be. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong specifically with child labor in and of itself. But the excess of it, instead of education, you know, child labor when it's dangerous, you know, those are all things that I'm against. And I think those are all things that came with the Industrial Revolution. So do you think 
that the Industrial Revolution would have been better off if they replaced all of the children that worked in the factories with women, because I know that women in the workplace was primarily a newish concept, especially in factories and places like that where children were working. But do you think that there was like a trade-off? Like if you could go back and replace the amount of children that were working in the factories with women, would the numbers have still worked? And women also like were known for having like the worst. Like children obviously like had very bad like shifts, but women also had usually the night shifts and the longest shifts so that the husbands could get home and take like like ensure like that they like had rest, right? Because that's what like society said was important. But then also like what's important in that and like this is also kind of stemming off the child labor issue is that because of the industrial revolution the women like fought for their rights, right? Before that, it was unheard of for women to get together into like society and form a collective and say like, hey, this is not fair how you're treating us. And that maltreatment wasn't unique to the Industrial Revolution, right? Women had kind of like in society, their role was oppressed. And so then after that, I mean, one of the first associations of women was the Lowell Girls Factory Association. And that kind of led into women having a mindset of, hey, we deserve equal rights to men. And then as they grew in their role of workers, they were able to kind of, after World War I, like step into a very large role in the workplace and ultimately gain rights, like right to vote and stuff like that. So I think the point that I think we're all trying to make is that at, in the beginning, of the Industrial Revolution when all of these parties were coming in that previously hadn't been a huge part of the workforce. The focus was still on the heads of the families, which was usually the males. But over time, there have been more programs and more organizations. And even if they have to, like the women, like you said, fighting for themselves to achieve a safer and a healthier and a better life in the workforce. And some of the things that I wrote about are the different types of labor unions that stemmed in the early 1900s because the federal government, at least in the United States, wasn't really putting a lot of effort into protecting the rights of those workers and that initially stemmed from the Industrial Revolution when they needed to advocate for those rights. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that the conclusion we can make here is that right now, in present day, the workers are definitely better off than they were before the Industrial Revolution because they have those protections, especially from either the government or a bunch of labor unions. But initially, like at what cost? Because they had to struggle severely to get to that place and it took almost 200 years to do so. Right, and then I would add to that also because Great Britain had the colonies, right, in the Americas, since Britain was industrialized and could process, you know, what they were importing from their colonies, such as the cotton, and make the textiles in the workplace, their industrialization kept growing, right, because not only, like, did they have this, like, large supply of product to develop, but they had the workers to develop it and then resell it. Hey, Calvin, why don't you let me know a little bit about the economies in uh, the Western world versus other places at that time? Yeah, Rudy. So a big thing with the Industrial Revolution is that at the time during the Industrial Revolution, there were a lot of uh, negative externalities that were going on at the time. There were wars, famine that were just eating at countries, making it everything, like bringing down the economy in general for other countries. So if we look at wages and 
just general quality of life at the time between like the 1760s and 1830 time period, we can see that countries like Scotland were better off or countries in, like such as Britain were better off than countries such as Ireland who, when the potato famine came, were just destroyed economically because they didn't have that industrialized economy to back up their citizens and help them out. You can also look over at China and India whose citizens were living terribly as well because they didn't have an economy to back up their citizens when they were hit by these terrible famines and things like that. So if we look at stuff like that, then we can see that, yeah, wages were low and people were treated horribly. We can also look at maybe they were treated horribly because we had these terrible things going on and not just because of the general revolution at the time. So there's more factors than we generally look at. Okay. And I'm curious, at this point, we weren't totally a global economy yet. I assume, but what sort of roles did the economies of different countries play with each other at this point? Um, and how was that affected by the Industrial Revolution? Well, in that case, you can look at Britain and other European countries, kind of like I was saying before, they're more industrialized. Britain, because of the Industrial Revolution, put out 24 million tons of coal, four-fifths the world's total uh, in 1830. But by 1870, they were producing 110 million tons of coal. So we can look at countries like that where they're exporting all this stuff that gives their country way more money and is able to deal with these externalities better than other countries could. So like I said before, like the famine in Ireland, how these, how Ireland was just smacked by this famine. They didn't have any export or money to help them out there. But countries like Britain, because they were exporting all this stuff, they just had a lot more money to help their citizens out if need be. Okay. And, um, I think that that sort of brings up another interesting point of a, a possible negative thing that the Industrial Revolution brought to the metaphorical table that is the world. So war, just in general, was helped a lot by industrialization. Weapons being built on a line are being churned out so much faster with a lot more ease and they're more effective uh, with less, less issues. Um, and these things, like, although they may have helped, you know, certain countries that we feel should have won the war and did win because war is made easier. And then there's like people profiting off of war and, and then it becomes all political. And then who's in the factory working when all the men are off at war at these times? And that's women and children. And yeah, that was a great empowering thing for the women. The conditions in those factories still weren't great. They weren't safe. They were possibly even military targets at these point at this point because they're making weapons and the children are in there too, which is just not a positive thing. Do you have anything to say about that, Belle, you know? Yeah, I would add into that. Um, I mean, I definitely understand from like a child's point of view, like that's not, oh, like that is not somewhere they should be. But for the women, like that introduction into like that role, like was like a very huge turning point into you know their organization and then ultimately them entering society as like fully functional members that they hadn't really been before right it kind of showed that they could be independent of men since husbands boyfriends fiancés were off at war and all of a sudden they're thrown into this world of taking care of the children taking care of the house and then also working and covering the shifts that were left by all the men. And so since it originally was just, you know, the women of 
middle to lower class um, families and arguably not a lot of middle class families working in the factories. Like all of a sudden because of war, all the men leave and now it's everyone's working in the factory, right? And I mean, flash forward to 200 years later, like Rosie the Riveter figures, like those started to like kind of come to the forefront, right? So it started to exist and help push their suffrage and momentum. All right, guys, I think, uh, I think Julia has a, a little segue that she wants to pick up on here, um, kind of getting into some, some communism and socialism uh, in the Industrial Revolution. So, Julia? Yeah, I'll play devil's advocate here for a second. So basically, in terms of workers' rights and labor laws and reform, a lot of it stemmed from socialist ideas, and we see that a lot in the mid-1800s, especially in France, where the newly instated uh, head of government, Louis Blanc, uh, introduced this concept called national workshops. And these national workshops uh, were basically a system that allowed for the working class to find jobs when they needed them. And those jobs were primarily funded and given to the working class by the government and kind of established this idea that every member of the working class is entitled uh, and has the right to a job and that it's the government's problem and their job provide a way for them to make money. When a new government and a less socialist government was established in France a couple years later these national workshops were taken away and that sparked a pretty much a revolt from the working class that they called the June days. But basically what the point that I'm trying to say is that many of these ideas that were involved in the socialist reforms, especially uh, for workers' rights and these national workshops are reflected today in a lot of organizations and a lot of unions across the world, uh, even in the United States where the Red Terror was a real thing and people were scared of communism, scared of socialism. But little did they know that, you know, the workers' unions and the rights that they were really looking for from the government had a lot of socialist ideas. And I think the problem with that is, is that in a capitalist society such as the United States and a lot of these, a lot of these industrialized first world countries, they do a really good job of fighting communism, but at the same time, really incorporating a lot of socialist ideas into society, especially with their working class. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I, I didn't even think about that. Definitely the the necessity for labor laws and child labor laws and things like that coming into play is asking the government to intervene in the economy, which is always sort of a, a dangerous game. and. And I think now we can all agree that sometimes it needs to be done because in pure capitalism, you know, bad things happen. You know, factory owners don't want to pay for, you know, safe working equipment. So people, women and children have to work in these, in in like dangerous conditions. And so, so then, but then we're asking the government to come in and take a hold of economy in some way, which is dangerous and kind of like a, a dirty thought, I feel like, in a modern day America. Well, yeah, I mean, we can look at some communistic aspects, I guess, in that with the labor laws, not only the child labor laws, but also the unions that were formed eventually. And those unions actually help. That's when the turning point with the workers happened during the Industrial Revolution. So I agree with having some communistic aspects, if you want to call them that. 
or having government intervention is probably a better way to put it. Not only, like I said, the child labor laws and then the unions, you can look at any data point from the time and you can see a clear growth after unions are introduced because at this point workers were able to come together and fight for higher wages. And what's really interesting to me, honestly, is because because communism was a big idea at the time, the biggest thing that really separated these Western countries from going full communism and not is that when they formed the unions and asked for higher wages, they actually got them. And if they wouldn't have gotten those higher wages, then I could see all of Western Europe actually going full communism at some point. Because if they wouldn't have gotten those higher wages, those riots would have continued and would have gotten a lot more violent. But because those higher wages were given to workers, they were happy they were happy and better off, and they stopped. So it's interesting to think about. Okay, so a few of the big points I think we, we came to is that children no longer work in the factories, the economy is better, women are more present in the workplace, and yeah, there was definitely a learning curve, like I said earlier, uh, in the early stages of this revolution where people didn't have everything figured out. But I think we're all sort of leaning to the side that the world is better off because of the Industrial Revolution. I would just like to say thanks to my expert guests here today for this great conversation we've had. I think we all learned a lot. And thank you guys for listening. Have a great day.
This has been a production of the History Department at the U.S. Naval Academy, located in Annapolis, Maryland. If you enjoy our programs, please let us know as we'd love to hear your thoughts. You can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at USNA History, and our email is historyproductions-group at usna.edu. For more information about the History Department at the Naval Academy, please visit usna.edu history.